Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to Museo Punks, the podcast for the Progressive Museum. My name is Jeff, and I'm here, as always, with my wonderful co-host, Suze. How's it going, Suze? Things are pretty excellent, Jeffrey. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. It looks very sunny and warm where you are right now down in Australia. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm feeling like it's a cool day because I'm having to don a uh, a sweater, as I believe you would call it in America. We just call it a jumper. But uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit a little bit warmer than where you are over in the snowy snowy uh, climbs. Yes, we have had a demoralizing winter in the Northeast. I guess. I don't know if Pittsburgh is the Northeast, but it it feels like the Northeast, so I'm going to call it the Northeast. Uh, it's hey. been snowy and cold, and we've dealt with the polar vortex, and we're due for more snow tonight. Can I ask what that does to museum visitation? Does does it drop away completely because no one wants to leave the house, or does it go up because museums are like warm and comfortable and everyone can go there? Um, we've actually seen, I mean, it's been so bad this, this, uh, this winter that, um, we've actually, uh, before I say that, I don't think we've closed proper because of the weather, but we, um, uh, it does, it does like tick down for us. Um, because especially in Pittsburgh, public transit isn't the best. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but, um, public transit is, is, is hard here in, in Pittsburgh. So, um, when it's cold and it's snowy and people aren't driving people typically aren't going anywhere so um yeah it does negatively impact our admissions here at, at my museum right whereas i, I think, think in I australia think York, we, yeah. yeah i was in in australia our weather extremes are usually ones of heat and of course um usually museums have air conditioning so if yeah. anything i think the the warm weather so our weather extremes actually would drive up admissions because it's a way of getting out of the sun and getting out of those conditions but i'm imagining yeah. it's quite different for you guys yeah and i mean the summertime is is pretty busy for us too for that same reason because uh pittsburgh being located where we are i mean we have the extremes in both summer and winter uh but our heat waves in the summer to get really humid and sticky and it's it's a it's a it's a terrible heat um i'm really <laughs> selling pittsburgh here aren't I? um but uh yeah museums are, are a good safe haven for all that stuff for sure yeah definitely <laughs> so um we have a we have a good show here this this month but before we do I just wanted to um take a moment to to kind of uh say that we've been seeing a lot of activity on the Twitter um the past couple of days uh from yes. from from people um you know just discovering us or just listening to the Museo Punks podcast for the first time one of which is uh, the museum nerd at museum nerd, and and he or she um, uh, tweeted out a uh, uh, a link to uh, to our show. So hello to all the new listeners. Thank you. For yes, listening. it's really exciting. I have to say. So you still, I still get. Can you have museum celebrity crushes? As in, can you sort of be like, hey, wow, there's this person. That's really exciting. They're aware that I exist. I think I'm having one of those when the museum nerd knows that I exist. <laughs> we definitely have to get museum nerd on the show in an upcoming episode. I have, I had the pleasure of, of meeting museum nerd. and uh, In person? When I was in person. Uh, was there a mask was involved? 
There was no mask involved. <gasps> it was when I was when I was working at the mattress factory, and I will tell you that Museum Nerd is meticulous with keeping uh, the integrity of anonymity. Um, so much so that I had to jump through many hoops in order to be able to meet Museum Nerd. Um, right. There were decoys involved. There were anonymous email addresses involved. I had to be at a location at a certain time by myself. Um, to, there was surveillance involved. And uh, <laughs> I will say that. Um, it would be awesome to have Museum Nerd on the show so we can we can talk about maybe anonymity in the digital age or something like that. I don't know. That's actually really fascinating. I, I mean, we spend so much time. I, I think when I think about social media, for instance, and the impact that it's had on my professional world and my professional context, so much of it is actually the fact that I am being myself on social media, that I am yeah. representing myself as well as whatever institution I'm associated with kind of at all times to subvert that completely and to not be doing that at all is a really interesting way to play with what social media can be and what professional identity can be. I mean, the fact is the museum nerd has this professional identity and, and sort of anonymity subverts that completely that it goes against this idea that your professional identity and your, um, I suppose digital identity necessarily have to line up. Right. Yeah. It's 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 definitely taking things and kind of flipping it on on its head. Um, and I I don't know how. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, because you and I and and most people uh, interact online as ourselves. And uh, right. And when you when you're not, whether you're assuming a character or you're or you're trying to maintain anonymity, that certainly impacts the the level to which and and the um, the concepts or ideas that you interact with or and around, right? Definitely um, crazy. But so uh, we're not talking about museum nerd or with museum nerd on this show. Uh, <laughs> we're not. What are, what are what are we talking about? <laughs> So our show today actually comes out of uh, one of the sessions that we both saw at the Museum Computer Network Conference in November, and I think we're both quite inspired by, which was looking at organisational structures in a digital age and how museums are sort of trying to deal with where digital sits in an org structure and how that actually sort of um, perpetuates through the structure. Yeah, and it's. I think the topic is super timely, especially now. Um, I know uh, at my own institution, we're thinking about this uh, idea of, of, of where digital sits and and structuring the organization in a way that that um, um, not capitalizes, but um, makes the most out of this environment that we're all dealing with now this digital environment this cross collaborative environment this right. um um more kind of an organic type of 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 structure so we're talking with with two really great minds um that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, so we've got John Stack from the Tate, uh, who is fantastic. He actually was uh, participated in that uh, session at MCN, which is where this idea came from. And we're also going to be talking to a fellow Australian in Kia Winesmith, who is at San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, uh, both both uh, John and and Kier are uh, have some really interesting thoughts. But rather than 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 us uh, talk about those thoughts, let's hear directly from them. 
John Stack is head of digital transformation at Tate. He works closely with colleagues across the organization. He is responsible for setting and delivering Tate's digital strategy and overseeing Tate's website. He manages the Tate Digital Department, which encompasses editorial, production, design, development, and audience insight. He is currently leading a transformation project to enable and embed digital activity across the organization. John, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. That's my pleasure. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome to hear. And, uh, it's really... <laughs> um, so, you know, your title, John, D- a head of digital transformation. Uh, it's interesting, unique. I don't think I know another head of digital transformation in the sector. So what what does that exactly mean? Interestingly, y- yesterday I saw a job advertised at the, uh, in the UK at the historic royal palaces as a head of digital transformation. So maybe really? something we'll see more on. Yeah, and it was very huh. similar in scope to my job. Um, what does it mean? In, in, a sense, in a sense, what it reflects is a, is a move from kind of all digital activity being seen as kind of peripheral to the, mm-hmm. the kind of core activity of the organization. And so if, you look, if you think sort of 10 years ago, pretty much all the digital activity would be happening inside a digital team. And that would sit somewhere in the organization, different organizations put it different places. And now what we start to see is digital activity all over the organization kind of springing up. And in sometimes internally, when I describe it, we talk a bit about the kind of journey that the research department has been on over the last sort of three or four years. Uh, So there was money from the... Uh, online scholarly cataloging initiative, which was run out of uh, Getty. And as part of that, we sat down with the research department and really kind of worked with them over quite a long period of time, a couple of years, to kind of rethink, well, what is what is art historical cataloging in the digital age? And uh, when it's not a book, it's a it, when it's a website, and you know, and so it's multimedia, and it's richly interlinked, uh, and it kind of grows and changes over time, and it's potentially uh, of uh, unlimited size. And so sometimes when I describe this internally, um, I say it's to do to the rest of the organisation what we've done to the research department, because mm. now when they think about research projects, they're thought of as digital from the outset. So they're thinking about commissioning film. They are thinking about web structures and kind of uh, layered uh, layered structuring of content rather than linear structures. And, you know, really what we want to do is do that, you know, we want to take everyone on that journey so that every aspect of the organization has a digital dimension. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite interested as how much then digital is actually driving change across the sector as well. I mean, you're talking about your organization, but I don't think that Mm -hmm. the Tate is the only one going through this. Do you think this need to be thinking digital first is actually driving change across the sector? So it's not just about how you create digital products, but actually how it does start to transform the organization. And I'm curious as to how much you think that's happening across the sector. And it also seems like it's a bubbling up too. Like it's the it's a bottom up change rather mm, than yeah. a than a than a leadership saying we need to pivot here, but it's a, a reality of 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 the situation now, right? 
Right. And and I guess, okay, so I think it's pretty safe to say that all or almost all cultural institutions have a pre-digital organization structure and way of working. And so when it comes to things like, and what that means is, I mean, I guess what I'm thinking about is historically lots of different departments could could kind of operate in silos and museums are are, are pretty siloed places, Um, especially the large ones. Smaller organizations tend to be a lot better at this. And what it means is that, you know, the kind of the marketing department and the membership department and maybe fundraising and and, and e-commerce, maybe these departments actually can kind of work independently from each other, you know, in the past quite a lot. But now it seems like the boundaries between these different departments are starting to blur. Mm. And that's because, you know, in the digital space, you know, the digital doesn't respect departmental boundaries. And so, you know, we've, we've done projects with the education department and ones with the marketing department that actually in their, uh, the way that they uh, kind of uh, appear to visitors are very similar to each other. And so the, the sort of boundaries between marketing and, and um, education are becoming very blurred. And um, you know, and so words like engagement and participation are sort of flying around the organization in different departments, and everyone's sort of meaning something very, very different by it and having di- different objectives. And yet when in the digital space, these things are sort of colliding into each other and it's forcing these departments to work together in ways which they haven't historically had to do, you know, to find a shared vision, to, you know, potentially develop something that has, you know, delivers multiple departments' objectives. So, yes, and it is really challenging us as an organisation. And it seems like, you know, in some ways, Mm. which isn't to say that we're, we're siloed to the point of, not being able to do anything because we you know when you think of an exhibition there are curators and art handlers and conservation and marketing and uh education and lots of other activities are kind of coming together to deliver these things in the uh you know in the gallery spaces and there's probably a little bit of sort of bashing into each other along the way and uh but ultimately we're pretty good at it and we deliver a high quality product but in the digital space we we haven't so far got ways of working that really respond in the same way. Hmm. So, so John, um, one of the most impactful sessions at MCN last fall for, for me personally was the one you participated in on, on the evolution of organizational structures. Mm. Um, uh, the future, I think it was called the future of museum digital departments and particularly how the, how this relates to the digital paradigm shift, you know, we're all dealing with now. Um, and in the session, you referenced um, a, a method that that you're using or employing at Tate called Hub and Spoke, um, and it's it's super interesting to me. Can you can you explain this a little bit more and, and tell us about this specific approach and how it's being implemented at Tate? Okay, so I mean the the way we used to operate was essentially, I mean you could call it uh, a good way of putting it would be center of excellence a center of excellence model where you kind of centralize all activity and the bad way of putting it or the more problematic way of putting it would be skunk works i.e a place where a lot of experimentation happens but it doesn't scale organization wide 
And so the hub and spoke model tries to deal with this, what needs to be centralized in a digital department and what can be devolved into the organization. Because what doesn't seem the right approach is for every digital activity in the organization to kind of be moved into the digital department. You could certainly have a go at that, but it would seem like you know you're gonna that that doesn't it doesn't really scale it doesn't lead to organizational change so the the hub and spoke model is a way of trying to define well what gets centralized and what gets pushed out and so outside in the kind of other departments around the organization we're looking at a lot more kind of responsibility and content authoring so a lot of things people are talking about is i want to publish that as this that or the other thing uh, a lot more kind of community management, so kind of social media, blogs, wikis, all this kind of stuff, that kind of activity happening outside. And what we need to do to support that change is, well, put in place a lot of sort of policies and guidelines that are kind of enabling people to do those things. So not a kind of law book, but a kind of guidebook to doing it. And that's one of the things that we're sort of working on at the moment. Um The second thing is people out in these other departments need a whole kind of set of skills. Mm. Well, going back to the guide, going back to the guidebook example, just because it's maybe worth giving an example. We have a set of accessibility guidelines in our department and they were updated a couple of years ago, but they, but they were fundamentally written for the people in my department. There's a way of us all agreeing with each other and we give them to contractors, but we never look at them. Because, right. you know, you've got a bunch of people who have been working in the sector for so long, they don't need to look at things like that. But So they're neither looked at by us, nor can we really give them to anyone else in the organization because they're not going to understand them. So we need to kind of rework all this material so that people can, you know, people can come in and pretty quickly they can be doing digital work out in the organization. Then we need to be looking at the skills of people out in, this, out in this other de- these other departments. And so, so and we're going to do a kind of audit of where we are now and who's doing what, because it seems like a lot of people are doing digital activity and, you know, something like writing for the web would seem to be a course that's, you know, we're going to end up with like 50, 60, maybe even 100 people needing to go on this. Hmm. Well, hundreds may be an exaggeration, but a lot of people. So these are things that we want to kind of push out into the organization. And then there seems to be a role for a hub department, and there seems to be a bunch of stuff which is just really critical to coordinate. So if everyone's doing things all over the organization, there seems to be a coordination role centrally, which is a kind of editorial role to prevent the whole thing turning into urban sprawl, Hmm. which is what you see a lot with university websites is, you know, there's a nice thing at the front. Yeah. With a nice picture of the campus, but everything else underneath is a kind of chaotic mess. So is... Yeah, go. And then there's a bunch of other stuff, which is around sort of technologies and project management and those kinds of things, which seem to be need to be centralized so that those those aren't skills, they're expensive and and specialized skills. Doesn't make sense to have them across the organization Well, at this point. Right. I'm quite curious as to sort of why you'd adopted the hub and spoke model but i suppose from what you're saying there you need the coordination of the hub and then the spokes is um about skills and confidence externally but that connect back is that is that why you took this approach yes and it was very much 
it's very much what Jeffrey said, which is that it was bubbling up in the organisation. So, you know, these activities and roles were were and are increasingly happening in the organisation. So in a sense, it was a response to, here's a change that we see, here's digital disruption, disrupting the digital department. Mm. So... You know, and and, uh, and I remember when we were at uh, the uh, the, uh, the MCN conference, uh, we, I mean, I was talking about this, and I said, saying, you know, trying to say stop all you other people doing this digital stuff, it has to be done in my department. It would be like, you know, standing on the street corner and waving a gun around, and, it, and then suddenly being like, hey, why am I getting arrested? Because, because there's... Because suddenly everyone, you know, and so we have to be a much more enabling department. And that actually changes the kinds of people that I need to hire into my team because, you know, there's a role which is much more about being a consultant, being an advisor, being a mentor. And so there's a kind of, there's a kind of change in the role of the department as well. Right. Uh, exactly. So, you know, you've been doing this for how long now? A couple months? Uh, when when um, When was the... Yeah, six months or so. I think. How how has it been met with organizationally? Are people responding positively to this change, or or, or what? Well, we've we've articulated it as a project. Okay, the organization great. kind of understands project. <laughs> I think that's probably true of a lot of museums. So if you say it's a project, they say, "Oh yeah, we understand. That's got some objectives, and it's probably got a plan." Has yeah. it been received pretty well? And the first phase of it has been looking at kind of digital governance. So we're going to put in place a new board and we reworked all our production processes to be uh, much um, more enabling for people. And we're developing now a roadmap so we can kind of present to the entire organization exactly where we are now and where we're going. So that's been the first phase. And we had a kind of roadmap before, but it was kind of in our heads which didn't really help anyone in the organization. <laughs> right. Uh, and then the next phase is a big kind of audit of who in the organization is doing what. So, and where are the gaps? And where are the opportunities? And what skills are needed? But actually, this is the, the fun bit is kind of coming up. Well, I'm saying it's fun now. If you ask me in three months, <laughs> I'll probably get a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're sort of talking about this as, you know, needing a project plan and already here you're sort of laying out what the what the plan is to make it seem mm-hmm. um, even as something you can grasp conceptually and something you can sell within the organisation mm-hmm. as well. I assume you're also measuring the success of this, though. I'm assuming you've got some metrics in place so that you can assess whether this is working or not. What 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 are you looking for to know whether this is successful at your end? This is, like, this is one of the things we're thinking about now because the, the, the first phase, which has been looking at kind of governance and roadmaps and production processes is really to measure a roadmap against our digital strategy mm-hmm. and to sort of lay that out. So one of the things in the next phase is, you know, we're wondering whether this is about the, you know, the kind of n- the number of people blogging in the organization, the number of social media accounts, um, the kind of the, the how regularly content is getting updated, whether it's getting maintained actively. Um, these are the kinds of things that we're thinking about. So a kind of 
you know, a, a kind of what is the health mm. of the, rather than thinking about it as, as how far are we through organizational change, I think we're thinking about, well, like, what is the impact going to be on audiences? And so, and, and can we measure the sort of health of that? Um, and then pull that, you know, and then say, okay, well, you know, this content is not getting updated quickly enough. Therefore, is it because someone's on holiday? Or do we need to go in and look at workflows around that? Right, right. So let's talk about the digital strategy for a moment, um, uh, which is wonderful, by the way. I love how, how open you are with it um, online, and, 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 and I, I think it's very comprehensive. Uh, but it, you know, it, it is only for two years. Um, and that seems, you know, in museum cycles seems to be very short, uh, than many other kind of strategy documents is t- talk to us about the, the, the choice to, to, to make it a shorter cycle of strategy. Is that obviously intentional? Um, but why do you revisit that so often? Mm. Because the organization actually changes quite quickly in the digital space. Mm. And so it, it, would, you know, it only takes a new, a new kind of head of department or director in some division who's suddenly thinking about things differently to want to sort of shift direction. That seems right. to be one thing. It seems like technology is something that we were thinking about in sort of 18 months to two-year cycles. Because that's yeah, because that's the cycle that it, that I mean, you have to align with the, te- the technology cycles, right? Yeah. Uh, and so something like uh, you know indoor location awareness, we seem to be now in a totally different place than we were two years ago. And so, if we committed ourselves to a sort of five-year plan around this, we'd now be in quite a bad place because we could have committed ourselves to something. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm quite, I'm sort of interested though. So you've got as the strategy for 2013 to 2015, digital as a dimension for everything. And you've just spoken about how quickly actually the organization can change in terms of digital as well. Do you think that having that strategy has been really important for embedding digital in the institutional approach? I mean, you're talking about needing to respond to the organisation changing, but do you think the organisation has responded to you having a strategy rather than, um, I suppose, just trying to make, um, to adapt to circumstances without a strategy? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Because, you know, in, in, on one level, you could, uh, you could argue, does the organization even need a digital strategy? At some point, is it just, you know, digital is going to be kind of normalized inside the organization. Right. And, and you know, it'll just, and so digital is, starts to appear in lots of other department strategies, either explicitly, i.e., this is what my department, you know, the learning or, or research or whatever, what we're going to do digitally. And then we have to sort of reflect that in our strategy and somehow gather it together in a bunch of themes. And so I wonder whether sort of over time the digital strategy will become less and less of an actual strategy and more and more of a kind of plan or at best a strategic plan. And arguably it's actually quite like that already now. Hmm. Like if you showed it to a real strategist, they'd probably say that's not a strategy. (laughs) It's a kind of list of stuff. Yeah. which Which in a sense it is. 
that's so, fine. So, so John, <laughs> not that not that you have a crystal ball or any of us do, but but what does what does digital look like in the future for museums? In in your opinion, you, you mentioned kind of a dissolving of digital departments and a and a and a and a more embedding um, of those specifically kind of operational skill sets within the organization. What what does it look like in the future? In your opinion, um, I think. I think many, many, if not most roles in the organization having a digital part of their work. So, and kind of blended roles. So I don't think we'll have a digital marketing manager because all marketing managers will be digital managers. And I think that's important to work towards. It seems like, I mean, I think we'll still have a digital department and their role will be very important in sort of constantly sort of pushing, pushing forward onto the next thing. And in a way, that will probably be very liberating for those departments because it will mm. really, you know, it'll give them focus as sort of innovation departments. Yeah. Which, which in a sense is actually a bit of a sort of, going back to what I said earlier, that's actually a bit of a sort of skunk works model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll probably talk much less about the digital mm. because even, in, even the digital doesn't really make sense. Yeah. You know, it's many different things. So, you know, it's it's e-commerce, it's, you know, it's um, social media, it's all it's marketing, it's all kinds of stuff, it's content delivery. Um, what else? I've got a list. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, it's it's clearly a... a, just I, don't a just, I don't want to read from, sorry, I don't, don't want to read from my list. It's it's all good, but I mean this topic is 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 so so fresh and and interesting. Um, you know, I think I think we'll be talking about it for for quite some time in the future. Um, and I know you you uh, you like to post and 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 write about it online. So if 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 people are interested in learning more about your specific approach, where might they find you on the internet, John? Um, probably best on Twitter where I am at Stacker. And then one aspect of the Digital Transformation Project is that a lot of the internal documents and kind of guidelines and policies and, and, and the shape of things as they, as they come, we're going to start to share all of that online. Um, and so if you go to our website and you go to, uh, I think it's About Tate Projects, and then there's a section on Digital Transformation. So in there, we're going to start to publish things as we go along. And one of the things we're going to try and put up there in the next... Uh, period is um, the kind of project plan for this project, so that people can see what you know where we are and what it's encompassing. Awesome. Brilliant! That's fantastic. We'll we'll drop all those links in the show notes and and anything we we discussed. But um, you know, John, thanks so much for for taking the time to chat with us today, and uh, keep keep up the uh, amazing work there. Thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Kia Winesmith is Head of Web and Digital Platforms at San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, or SFMOMA. His great passion is telling engaging stories and solving tough problems using technology. Kia has a wide and diverse background in digital media and technology. His experience includes the collaborative planning, design and development of web, connected TV, social, mobile, radio, virtual and augmented reality experiences, and the production of audio, video, text and interactive 
exclusive content for these platforms. Kia, it is so great to chat to another Aussie on the show, but you're over on the other side of the world. How does an Australian find himself in San Francisco working at SFMOMA? That's a good question. Um, Through convincing my wife and young daughter that it's a good idea to change continents and the fact that uh, SFMOMA is a place that I've long been interested in and work that has a a fantastic, I guess, uh, a history in the digital space. So as someone who's fascinated by how digital and culture intersect, coming to San Francisco and joining SFMOMA seemed like the right thing to do at the right time. Cool. So, so Kier, SFMOMA is currently closed at the moment, which kind of presents some unique opportunities uh, to think about what a museum can can be both technologically and, and organizationally. And we're going to talk a little bit about organizations uh, structure here on this episode. But can you talk a little bit about uh, what you do specifically and your your role in 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 what's happening there at SFMOMA at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the situation is a really attractive one. And that's, I mean, it's a, probably a better answer to your first question, Suze, is the main reason that I wanted to move to San Francisco to join SFMOMA was because it's closed. And a couple mm. of people have said to me, like, why would you go and join a museum that people can't visit? And for me, it means that there's this renewed focus on the digital storytelling that an institution needs and wants to do. And being ahead of web and digital platforms allows me to kind of be a you know, part of that team at the center of that conversation. The other thing that it opens up about being closed, and you know, probably due context, we're closed for another two years. It's already been closed for six months. And in that two-year period that's ahead of us is an enormous opportunity to rethink, renew, revitalize, and in many cases, totally replace existing systems. And those those systems might be technological systems. They might be how people work. They might be how groups interface with each other. The thing that's been really heartening and really exciting about um, joining this organisation is how many, how many, how many, how much of that is actually on the table. How many people are open to having their systems, their approaches, their work life changed by changed in this moment at this moment. And for me, that's a really exciting thing to be part of because I'm interested in organisational change. This is the second museum real building that I've been through, and I'm sure there are more for me in the future. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because where I was going to say is this isn't your first time going through this process because the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney, where you were previously reopened not that long ago after a period of redevelopment. So you've been through this before. Do you think these opportunities of closure are in some ways maybe the only way that museums can reinvent reinvent themselves in this sort of wholesale type way? And where do you even start the process of doing that? Mm, That's a really good question. I think there probably is the right mix of director and lead staff and curators and, uh, like, I guess on the ground doing stuff somewhere in the world that could take on these sorts of challenges while keeping a museum open. I've never seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be amazing if such a thing exists. But almost any museum that goes through a period of genuine closure and takes that moment to also look at the other thing, look at the things beyond the building that make that museum what what it is, and that's something that SFMOMA has done, that seems to me the only opportunity that you've got globally to then look at what it is that makes this institution or makes that institution uh, special, unique, relevant, and then what it is that it can change about itself in this moment 
to make it more relevant to its community or to, to reinvigorate itself? And for me, that's a really attractive set of questions and a really attractive environment to be in. Um, but it does, it, I think there's more examples of people missing that opportunity than there are examples of people mm. taking that opportunity and genuinely changing more than just the size of the building. I think there's a fetishism around bigger new buildings and they're, they're much easier things to fund strategically than mm. changing how an institution works. That's a hard thing to convince people to give you money for. Building a new wing that you can put your name on is, yeah, a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you start that process, though, then, of um, rethinking the strategy and rethinking the internal processes? Do you, are there things at the outset you know you want to achieve or is it um, – do, do new problems come up along the way? I, I suppose I'm really interested in sort of how that's developing. I know you're only six months into the, this sort of period, mm. but how that starts to develop and where you start to go, ah, no, that's definitely what we have to tackle, whereas – you know, it's prioritizing, I guess. Yeah, I would say that the, the the key starting element, and it doesn't start when the museum closes, it definitely starts before the museum closes. The key mm. starting element is uh, an institutional objective to look at itself with honesty. And I think if you if you start from that point and that becomes part of the language of expansion or the language of reinvention or the language of, say, you're moving from one town to another or one bit of the same town to another or you growing in size by one wing or you're growing in size by three or four X. If the language throughout and internally, especially from the leadership, is all about, um, you know, uh, larger building or uh, bigger collection or uh, more programs and the language of change and the organization itself and its brand and its brand values aren't included in that, especially from before those doors closed, mm. then you're almost setting yourself up to fail. You're setting yourself up, well, not necessarily to fail, you're setting yourself up to do one thing and one thing only and have everything fall behind that. And the, the thing that's been really reassuring and exciting about joining SFMOMA is that in advance of the doors closing, a kind of research, an audience research program had already been begun. So they took advantage of the fact that they were still open to, to talk to certain people and then since closing to talk to different constituencies. So they went into the, the closure knowing that they wanted to look at the organisation holistically and how it interacts with the Bay Area the wider, and the wider California and then, um, you know, US and global communities. And they knew that they wanted to think about the brand as well as the physical museum itself. So the the brand and how it's manifest, the logo itself is all on the table. How we communicate with our disparate and many audiences is all on the table and and, and our program and the, the language around it is all on the table. And we may choose not to change anything. That is actually a legitimate outcome. But that we're asking the questions and people are open to hearing different voices and coming up with different answers to those questions is incredibly valuable. And the reforming of the content department that I'm part of is an example of that. That happened actually before the museum closed. It, it you know, it was part of the museum, re, you know, museum organisational change, but it didn't have to have the uh, the catalyst of the doors closing to say, okay, now we're allowed to make changes to how this place runs, which is different to, the, I guess, the technical questions, which where you really do need the doors closed. If you want to change, like the point of sale and the e-commerce infrastructure and your content relate your uh, customer relationship management software and the web infrastructure that's all based on and your digital signage. You wouldn't do all of those at the same time. You can't run a museum day to day. Yeah. So let's talk about your your department there for for a moment. Where where does 
where does digital sit in the organization? Um, can you talk us about talk to us a little bit about how the how the workflow is established and and where it lies in the in the in the hierarchy or non hierarchy of it all? Yeah, yeah, I, I like the hierarchy or non hierarchy <laughs> option. I'm glad non hierarchy is an option. <clears throat> Um, so there's, there was a, a, a change before I started, which I think is a really, really good one. It was actually one of the uh, things that really attracted to me about SFMOMA um, is that the content, so it was called content strategy and digital engagement. So digital is clearly right at the, the kind of meat and bread of what content is about and what strategy is about. And so what they did is brought a number of disparate departments that were somewhere in education, some were kind of a little bit in marketing communications, publishing and design, and brought that all together under one person, Chad Cover, who's the, the new um, CCO, so uh, Chief Content Officer. And that was a bit over a year ago, so, you know, six months before the museum closed itself. So within that department, oh, sorry, within that division, there's a community engagement department, which is uh, what OpenSpace, um, SFMO's famous blog, comes out of. There's the web and digital platforms team. And the kind of key piece of digital within that is that department or that uh, my group used to be called web services and was thought of as a, a service agency within the organization. People would lean on it to provide, you know, a service. <clears throat> and Chad and the team made the decision to, to rename the department and to change expectations around the role and call it web and digital platforms, which does two things. It says... It's everything about the web, not just the services, and it's every digital platform, not just the web. And how they sit together and interact with each other is a kind of key aspect of the role, which I think is the right choice. It wasn't mine, but it would have been the one that I would have made. And then also within the content department is the publication, so all publications, you know, print ephemera and you know, physical books. And <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me the design studio and our group called Interpretive Media, which is led by Peter Samus. And so all of the storytelling around an exhibition or around an artist, around a particular work or about the organization itself comes out of a strategic content group with a, with a digital storytelling imperative right up front in the name of the division. And I think that's really key and really exciting because it acknowledges the way that the footprint of SFMOMA is much bigger in digital than it's physical. I mean, at the moment, it's obviously uh, very light in a physical footprint. We have a series of shows opening around the Bay Area, but compared to our digital footprint, it's very light. And even when we're open, still more people uh, interact with SFMMA digitally than they can ever fit through the front doors. So it's important to acknowledge that and to work towards that as a embedded element of the organization. Right. I think that's one of the things I actually noticed a blog post that you wrote about YSF MoMA um, and you described your job as being about connecting the digital touch points uh, or the digital points for each. So the physical and the digital touch points for each visitor to the museum. And I am quite interested as to what you're dealing with is the physical space and the digital space or having to deal with the physical structure and the digital. Um You've obviously got to work closely with exhibit designers and, and people like that within the museum, as well as working with content. Do you think that where you're positioned sort of so centrally with, within the content strategy um, really helps integrate that storytelling and the way also then you're thinking about the physical brings those two worlds together, I suppose, because you actually do have to think about each in your job? 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's absolutely the goal that was articulated to me by Chad um, when I first started at SSMOMA was that he deliberately wanted someone who could solve technology problems and kind of system problems and, and you know, uh, UI and UX problems, but someone who wasn't just a systems person, someone who had a content background and could understand content imperatives. And I guess the background to before the MCA is I worked for, you know, a broadcaster. So I worked for a content-centric institution and, and built digital interfaces for them. And that kind of experience, that kind of media company experience of, of understanding audience and understanding storytelling and understanding the infrastructure for that meshed with a kind of like a, techn- a technical imperative of building new things, um, mm. I guess allows digital to be part of, uh, allows my group to be part of the spectrum of interactions that someone could have with the organization. And I guess at one end of that spectrum is you alone with the work in the gallery and quietness and having hopefully a transcendent, transcendent experience with an art object. Like that's a goal state but another goal state an equally valid one is that you live in south america or you live somewhere um in asia and you are never going to visit san francisco but there's something about our collection or there's something about our story that has compelled you to visit us digitally and that you should have a museum quality experience you should have a rich and deep experience no matter whether you can physically or, or can't visit the institution and in saying that all of those steps in between all of those points that we can interact with you they should also be museum quality and they should be coherent and consistent so the visual language that we use in the web needs to match that of the app and needs to match that of signage in the museum and needs to match that of interactive signage especially in the museum and the web that you hit before and after your visit potentially and so that like the ownership of the storytelling and the ownership of the systems that support the storytelling, bringing them together, I think is a really good idea and not my idea, something that happened before I started. I just, you know, I like it. It's fun. So uh, your your counterpart on this episode is John Stack from from the Tate, who, who we interviewed earlier. We spoke a lot with John about um, digital strategy documents and um, formalizing uh, strategies, particularly digital strategies, in a way um, that that can be um, revisited or or uh, kind of referred to along the way, along the path. Um, how does SFMOMA approach this um, idea of digital strategies, and 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 how often are you kind of looking at these these strategies? Hmm. I, w- I wonder if we're in, uh, like we were talking before, about a rare opportunity in a rare crucible with which to do things. I don't think other organizations look at digital strategy as often as we do right now. Uh-huh. And I've never worked in a place that looks at it as, as much as we are right now. But that's, I think, a, a, an accident of history in that I'm new to the organization. We are closed and rebuilding. We are looking for funding for certain properties. We're generating a lot of new ideas and a lot of new strategy about how we fill a building that doesn't exist yet that is a... a working hole in the ground um, across from our offices so at the moment we talk on the no- on, on the questions of digital strategy at least once a week and sometimes more often and i think that's not normal and that will go down to something more manageable in the future and so the the document i've, I see, I've read the document that uh, john's referring mm-hmm. to and so we have a series of working documents 
that aren't as um, that they're deliberately aren't as verbose as that. They're actually they're also quite visual. So um, you could think of them as PowerPoint decks or as uh, PDFs or um, you know bullet points and stuff at, that we're using as um, places to workshop some of the ideas that are nascent in all of us but haven't been fleshed out and tied down. And we don't want to flesh them out. Or we are fleshing them out. But we don't want to tie them down because the building is is a big influencer to that and all of the different stakeholders are big influencers to that. And as we talked before about wanting to be open to hearing and to working with different people and open, open, wanting to be open to their ideas, we're using these as questions to ask the organization rather than prescriptions for how the digital experience in the new SF moment will be. So they're very open and we're deliberately, we're kind of doing a, as uh, my boss calls a dog and pony, we're doing a dog and pony to lots of different departments within the organization to say like, here's the space we want to work in, here are the ideas that we're using to approach it, but we want to include you in how we attack this. I think at the end, there will be a really concrete digital strategy that will be something that we will, you know, share and surface, but we don't want to do it and it comes from the kind of the digital vantage and is and is kind of handed like a finished piece to other departments. We wanted them to be to take ownership of it, of it or not, not to be a part of it, but also to use this this sort of brand vision moment as we as we look at our brand again and we look at our audiences again to lose to use this sort of brand thinking as a way to influence how we do digital strategy rather than use our only our experience and our hopes and aspirations to try and fit to use that as a lens to look at everything including the the digital experience and that's been a really exciting project i think we're we're really nearing the end of it um Mm. but it's it's fantastic to be in an environment where you can actually think strategically kind of two or three times a week and actually have touch points with different departments to say, you know, what are we missing that's that we need to gather from you in order to do this right the first time? Yeah, it's actually really interesting you talk about working with other stakeholders in this question because that was one thing that John also observed. I, I sort of asked why they changed their digital strategy every two years because that seemed fairly short for strategy documents. Mm-hmm. But a large part of his reaction was, well, it's actually dealing with the other parts of the organisation and their needs and what they want out of digital. And I think that's quite an interesting sort of um, place to be talking about strategies, how much the other departments in the institution impact upon the digital strategy right? and, and how much it goes the other way as well. Do you think it is those interactions with other departments that shape the strategic direction of, of SF MoMA with digital or do you think it's a response to the outside world and what digital requires um, from that direction? I think it's a mixture of the two, but very much I think it's more so the outside world and our audience and the kind of context that SF Moment finds it in. I mean, we are at the top end of Silicon Valley. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Google, the, the eponymous Google bus does pick up people um, in our area and take them south into the valley. So it's it's important for us to understand our Californianness, and it's important to understand mm. our Bay Area-ness as well as our kind of our projected, our hopeful projected global reach. And so to understand our place within the kind of community market and the uh, um, the kind of museums within the city and the museums within the part of the city uh, SOMA that we're in, it's as important to understand that as it is important to understand the goals and aspirations of the, um, the people, like the stakeholders within the institution. The thing that I 
am really nervous about and it's something that happens in a lot of institutional websites. I think it's the best way to to look at an organization and know whether or not they've got digital right is to see if their um, homepage is led by a series of tabs that are departments or reference mm. departments, then you know that digital isn't working there, mm. if that's the case. Because it shouldn't be the internal stories that you tell your audience. It should be ways in which the audience considers you, that, you're, that you use their language to reach them and make them feel like they're in the right place. Especially with modern contemporary art, that can be hard, that can be confronting. You want to make your museum a safe place to take risks. And if you put the language of departments and you put all of the things around it that, that they find intimidating or don't understand, then you're already adding barriers before you even get to the work. So a lot of what we do is thinking about the audience experience and thinking about the stories we want to tell them and using them as ways and crucibles with which to look at questions rather than saying, well, we need to do something for education. We need to do something for venue hire. We need to do something um, for curatorial. We need to do something for any number of departments. Let's actually think about the audience that we've gone to the trouble of researching and use our the, the strategy that we've gone the part of writing and the content that we've gone to the, the trouble of collecting and actually use that to lead our digital strategy, not the most influential department. Very cool. I mean, that all makes uh, a, a ton of sense. Um, and it's, it's, it's very exciting to hear that that's the approach uh, being taken there. So, you know, we're coming down to the end here. And before we let you go, I want you to look into your crystal ball and I want you to Describe what, how you see uh, digital departments evolving in the museum sector over the next, you know, 10 years or so. Do you think that digital departments will continue to grow and acquiring new skill sets and broader scope? Or will these functions kind of be more embedded into the departments of the museum? And what role will digital take in, in, that, in that case? Mm, I, I'm. That's an awesome question. I'm gonna do a, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column okay. B. I think <laughs> museums are, are, are like museums almost more than any other sector are believers in and supporters of specialization. Uh, there are people in museums who could easily be the best person in the whole world at cleaning um, Renaissance frames. And that's yeah. possible that you could be that person. And there's almost nowhere in the world that's like right. that. And so <laughs> we will still have specialists, no question. Mm. In 10 years from now, there'll still be digital specialists. There'll still be people who know more about this element than anyone else. The thing that's going to flip is that everyone else in the museum is going to be digitally literate to a certain degree, or at least where their specialization doesn't take them totally away from that. And so there will be a distribution of content generation and experience touch points and, and ways in which stories are kind of generated. But the specialist that can communicate coherently to audiences on their terms in their language is always going to be needed as a way to bring things from the, you know, the, the mind of the art historian or the mind of the curator or the mind of the conservator or the mind of the scientist into a language that we can consume or into a format that we understand or a thing that reaches us on our phones. So... A little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I apologize for the head. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's fantastic. Uh, Kia, now people may well want to follow up on some of what they've heard you talk about with you today. Where on the internet can people find you if they're looking to, to track you down? Uh, the, probably the easiest way, if you're a Twitter person, my handle is D-R-K-E-I-R, or if you just search Twitter, Kia Winesmith. 
And I kind of blog about some of these questions, although much less frequently now that I've landed in San Francisco. It's been kind of hectic since I got here. I think I posted <laughs> once just to say I arrived. Um, but I think that will that will change. And so if you again, if you just search uh, Keir Winesmith, um, the first thing you hit there is a blog that I've got called the Contemporary Museum. And if you're kind of interested in, I guess, some of the questions around how to build things and some of the practicalities, I've written up a lot on uh, projects that I've uh, completed in the past. And so there's kind of a little bit of bootstrapping as well as a little bit of theory. Great. I will drop a link to this in the show notes. I said me, but I mean we. Um, Kia, thank you so much for being a guest on this. This has been really, really interesting. Cool. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. Hey, so that was a couple of really interesting interviews for me. I mean, you and I have been wanting to get into this question of org structure for quite a while, so it's nice to hear a couple of different perspectives and also hear a little bit about people's sort of strategic approaches to these questions. Yeah, that's what I found most valuable, I think, to hear from John about how he's how he's uh, kind of re-envisioning things there at, at Tate and also from, from Keir, who's dealing with with some things in a, in a little different way with the museum being closed and, and almost like, like, uh, uh, reinvigorating or reimagining what they can do in that kind of fresh space. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so many of the guests. Well, there's certainly more than one guest that we've spoken to who are in times of closure, and it really does seem to give a particular license to experimentation and trying things out in new ways. But just as interesting are the institutions like like the Tate that are continuing along as sort of, in some ways, business as usual. They don't have a closure, but they're still finding new ways to actually structure what they're doing and adapt to the situation. Yeah. So uh, we will... Um put everything that that John and 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 Kier spoke about that that is of relevance in the show notes for the episode um, yep. which can be found at museopunks.org/13 this is episode 13 if i'm counting correctly i'm um, i had to do the math in my head just then but i think <laughs> you are indeed <laughs> Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, with that, um, you know, let's, let's close it out. Uh, you can follow along with Museo Punks on Twitter. Yes, we love hearing from people on the Twitter stream. As we mentioned at the start of the show, it's been really lovely starting to hear from people and getting different feedback. It was great to hear that a whole bunch of um, registrars had been talking about the show the other day, which, you know, it's lovely getting responses and finding out who's listening. Yeah, it was funny from from that tweet too. Uh, they, uh, it was Tracy Berg Fulton, who's at Berg Fulton on Twitter. Um, she is here in Pittsburgh as well. Um, but she, you know, in that tweet, she said, "Beware, museo punks! The registrars are talking about you. Be excited or be afraid." And I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> we love registrars, but." Uh, Anyway. Yeah, it's fantastic just finding out about different parts of the sector that are listening to the show and then thinking about how we create episodes that might be of interest to different parts of the sector ourselves. Yeah, so and if you have stay ideas, in touch. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you have ideas, stay in touch. You can let us know um, at Museo Punks or also on our personal Twitter, Suze. Uh, where can people find you online? 
People can find me on Twitter as at ShinesLike or my blog, which is museumgeek.wordpress.com. And Jeff, where can they find you? I am at StaticMade on Twitter and StaticMade.com on the internet. Um, Suze, as always, it's been wonderful. Uh, and I look forward to chatting with you next month. Always a pleasure. See you, Jeff. Bye-bye.